Cool. Okay, we're live. Today I'm joined by Matt Kennedy, who's the CEO of Fussy, which is a sustainable natural deodorant brand. Happy to have you here, Matt. Why don't you give us a quick background, how you started the brand and what your story is to date? Hi, Adam. Yeah, great, great to be here and, and Leah. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me first, I guess. Um, yeah, background's a bit of a bit of a weird one. My route to being a, a, a founder was uh, kind of a bit, a bit zigzaggy, but um, but all good in the end. So I guess I've always been really passionate about the world around us and sustainability. Um, I was actually a, a building surveyor before I was, was a founder. So I qualified as a surveyor um, where I really focused in on designing and renovating um, commercial properties to make them more sustainable. So I focused on that for um, working in the city for four or five years. Um, and then from kind of building buildings, I moved into building brands. So I moved into advertising um, where I was a creative for, for four or five years. And there I was creating ad campaigns effectively. I was like, you know, uh, but mainly above the line TV and press campaigns for, I guess, some of the some of the, the worst polluters in the world, if I'm honest. Like I was working for some of the, the, the companies we're trying to take on now. So um, I was selling the stuff that we're all consuming and is destroying the planet and kind of witnessing it firsthand. So I was like, well, what am I doing? What am I doing? Kind of selling my soul to the devil in a way. Um, but I guess I was becoming increasingly frustrated that we were working on all these briefs at the advertising agency for the, the likes of uh, Gillette or Pantene who have the ability to address the problems we face, but, but don't um, for whatever reason that may be, you know, it takes, you've got big legacy supply chains that take a long time to change. So, that kind of really ignited um, the passion in me. And I, and I guess I kind of used my creative skills then to, to, to basically start Fussy and thought, you know, we can we can do better ourselves. And I guess at the same time, it's like a perfect storm. Um, my wife and my co-founder wife, Eddie, um, were, were both, they were both pregnant um, and they were struggling to find a natural deodorant that worked. So it was this kind of, um, yeah, the situation of, you know, at work, witnessing it firsthand and at home um, that kind of really ignited the passion to kind of have a look for, for how we can make a difference. And um, we identified the bathroom as being um, one of the main polluters, you know, in the kitchen, I think around 80% of plastic is recycled in the, in the bathroom. It's much, much less than that. Um, so, so that's where we really honed in on and, and fussy exists to banish single use plastic from the bathroom as a whole, just so happens that, deodorant's our first product but but that is our mission is to is to rid the rid the bathroom of, of plastic um because ultimately if we don't change people aren't going to like stop buying products that's just not you know um yeah. ideally that's what we do and that would solve all the issues um yeah so it's about how we move that consumption to be more sustainable and that's what we're that's what we're trying to do and promote yeah, we were speaking to James of Fairley in Ireland last week, actually, and he's a sustainable retailer, and he was saying exactly the same thing at the end of the day, that consuming isn't going to go away, but we have to all sort of play a small part, and obviously that hopefully will accumulate and add up. Just a quick one, your career seems to have went in a bit of a 360, so what type of skills from your previous um, initial career have you carried over and you found helped you as a founder? Yeah, do you know what I'm really? Um, I can't. I kind of like to say career is a bit of a dirty word because it kind of implies that you you get a job and you do one thing and you stick at it. 
um, yeah. which is one career, right? But but mine's not been like that. And and I think actually a career can be um, multiple jobs taking taking yeah. skills, and then eventually they all come together. And and they have fortunately for me um, all come together in like a, in like a really weird way. So yeah. um, when I was a surveyor, it was I was consulting basically, you know, um, uh, working for clients, building decks, you know, analyzing numbers, um, running large construction projects which is all about you know project management and margins and um tendering work out and and uh, you know so i guess kind of financial management and, and all of that came into that um and then when i was working in advertising it was like none of that at all <laughs> it was just like purely creative which is why i left um uh, surveying um and now it's kind of both of those things merged together so it's kind of I'm kind of now at the the intersection of of creativity um, and business um, and sustainability, which was present in in all of my careers. So, like I said, in in um, as a surveyor, I focused on uh, climate change and addressing that through building design. And mm -hmm. as a creative, um, I, I did loads of stuff. Like I took um, I tried to tackle food waste. I had a small startup where we took um, leftover uh, rice from Japanese restaurants and we turned that into uh, Japanese rice wine. Um, and we sold that to a, uh, a European restaurant chain that now now do that with all their waste rice gets converted into alcohol, which they then sell. Um, so there's always been that element. So it's really been just like a, a, a combination of factors. And um, it's something actually that I'm quite passionate about outside of sustainability is like um, speak, going to schools and speaking to kids and saying, like, don't feel the pressure to like choose what yeah. you do, um, what you do too early. But that's probably a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I love that and I resonate with it. I used to be a kindergarten teacher, actually. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, the parallels there. Now I'm able to use these skills to look after Leah, who's like my... <laughs> <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, yeah, let's um, I'll let Leah take over from here and we'll start to get into like how you actually built the brand once you have the idea. Yeah, so... Um away from this obviously sustainability for a second what was fussy's go-to marketing strategy when you started yeah sure i mean obviously it's it's completely evolved and um i think when eddie and i first started fussy we were doing it as a side project like before work um every morning every evening get, get up at six go to the local cafe um and so you know I think back then we were like googling what go-to market strategy was <laughs> in yeah. some way um but no our, our strategy was very simply like prove that we've 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 got an idea here before we kind of go hell for leather and it was all about proving that idea on kickstarter um so we launched as a kickstarter and for those that don't know um because it's amazing the number of people i speak to and they're like what um yeah. but kickstarter yeah. is a way of basically pre-selling a product in order to bring it to market um so people can pre-order it and then you can take that money and make it happen um that's the plan anyway um so so we did that it's a good way of getting some capital in proving there's demand for the product which is the refillable deodorant um and really then the plan was look to build a community around that um and then grow the business off the back of that community and and that worked really well so um you know we got around three thousand customers uh, organically um, from Kickstarter in a month. And then off the back of that, we were then able to raise a small initial pre-seed round of investment because we could go to investors and say, look, we've proven yeah. it, people want it um, and we haven't even got the product yet. Um, 
and and then it, you know and and here we are kind of thing and, and now it's on to the next strategy i guess <laughs> yeah how did you create the actual like where where did the research come into it for the ingredients that went into the product because i know there's a bit of a debate as well in the deodorant space sort of natural ingredients be synthetic like how did you go about researching and coming up with the formulation yeah i mean that, that's probably the hardest part right like we were like how the hell do we make a deodorant um so <laughs> just did what everyone did and like go to google and like you're going through like 10 pages of google trying to find people and um i think um yeah and then it was linkedin i think cosmetic scientist cosmetic chemist um and this was after initially we found like a homemade deodorant recipe and tried making it ourselves that ended in like complete disaster like i literally burnt through a saucepan like you could literally see the, <laughs> um i was like there's no way you want to put that on your armpit so <laughs> so we, we knew we needed a professional um and we, we luckily we call her dr sweat i can't reveal her real name um that's actually no joke she, she won't allow me to but um uh, so, so dr sweat um formulated for us um and we spent a good 12 months uh over 40 different variations testing on friends and family and um yeah. never anim never animals obviously um to, to, to develop this uh to develop this formula yeah yeah awesome. i think the like we, when we were speaking to james last week um sustainability and going green is such a huge topic at the moment anyway so i think like you said with the with those communities getting in there when you've got a good products like that when people are really focused on being ethical making sure everything's ethically sourced if your product's good it's gonna sell itself it's gonna it's gonna do well exactly yeah and the product is so important like um don't get me like our whole company is built around sustainability and banishing single-use plastic okay and and looking at our supply chain as well which i'm sure we'll come on to but um if the product doesn't stack up and the product doesn't work people aren't interested yeah. like we we surveyed our um customers before we launched the product we did loads of research and um the reasons people wanted to buy a, a refillable natural deodorant the, the most important thing was that it worked and yeah. actually also that also that it was desirable and looked nice and if it saved the planet it was kind of a bonus um yeah and um i think obviously there's like the hardcore um people that already use natural deodorants already very sustainable that 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 order might change but if we want to create mass impact um yeah. we, ha we have to hit the mass market and, and the only way to do that is making sure the product works yeah 100%. that's so interesting go on leah sorry i was just gonna say being in that community the first thing is to be aware of what you're doing what part of consuming is going to have an impact on the thing so as soon as people are super aware of things they're gonna know when you give them something they'll go that's not going to work or this is going to work or you're having me on i'm not buying this again and it's exactly. like you can't you, you just you can't do over the hippies the hippies know you know everything <laughs> exactly exactly yeah um we actually use a like um we've got a really unique formula we use a, a probiotic mm -hmm. that you more commonly found in um yogurt and that literally targets the bad bacteria in your armpit um and because it's sweat doesn't smell it's when it reacts with the the bacteria in your armpit or or any other place it may be um so we target that bacteria and then when your sweat hits it it doesn't smell yeah, yeah take notes no, I'm just I just wanted to ask. Um, 
if it's a probiotic, is it technically is it still vegan? Yeah, because I know it was advertised as vegan. Yeah, it's fully vegan and, and cruelty free. Yeah. <laughs> Ordering ten for Christmas. Twenty <laughs> percent off at the moment as well. Oh, fabulous! My boyfriend can have one as well then. Adam, I'll get you a few. I, I don't smell the at you. I have to stay away go. from this. This is why we're remote. Uh, that's, that's very interesting, Matt. I think, as you said, like the sustainability, I know there's also brands that we work with is a, is a big part of the positioning. But ultimately, I think when you do that qualitative research, and we've done it for a lot of brands as well over email, ultimately the most important thing is that consumers want a product that works. And then... It's interesting how I think a lot of brands lean in with the sustainability and I'm not trying to downplay the importance of it because I think it is a crucial message and it probably will become more important. But ultimately, as you said, if, if it doesn't work, the product, then no one's going to just buy it as, you know, out of sympathy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and the unique position we've got as a startup is that um, unlike companies that are now backpedaling and, and trying to be more sustainable is that they've got to undo huge systems and you know we've got the benefit of being small and and growing and we can put those systems we can put our stake in the ground now you know yeah, absolutely it's good especially with things like deodorant like like you mentioned before you've got huge companies like Pantene and things like that you can you can market it however you want but when you look into like the ethics of things it's things sold in china have to be tested on animals it's like so how are you going to market that to be sustainable you can tell yeah. me it's got less plastic in it it's got this that and the other you can send it out in a cardboard box surrounded by little like them dissolvy packaging peanut things yeah. but your ethics it's like where do you go with that and it's i think it's a little bit a little bit difficult especially when things are kind of what we mentioned last week adam about greenwashing and things like that just because you put some flowers on your poster doesn't mean we know that you're recycling things love just got a quick comment i'm not sure who this is because it's came up linkedin user for some reason it's not showing me but I think I know who this is. It's like all salt and it's about being nimble. Please say your name, who the LinkedIn user is, so we can identify you. Okay, cool, Matt. Um, so PR, I know, has been like a big part of your strategy growing the brand. And you said to me, like in personal, you've had some hit and miss. Which ones have been most effective for you? And how do you create a PR strategy? Because as you said, it's sort of, you're taking a big chance, right? Like how much effort do you put into this and how do you start to develop the basics of a strategy for PR? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Um, it, it, it is a little bit hit and miss and I don't think we actually have it like a strategy. I think actually it comes down for us, it being baked into the values of the company that we install in it instill. So, um, for example, one of our, um, values is that everything is an opportunity. Um, and that was what led to our stunt with Unilever. You know, when we got a, a letter telling us to take down some adverts we'd, we'd put online um, comparing our products to theirs, you know, we saw that as an opportunity. Um, and that that came down, yeah, to the values of the company as opposed to, right, as part of our, our, our promotional strategy, you know what I mean? So I think if you can bake seeing, um, seeing things as opportunities and creativity into your company, then hopefully those, those like, opportunities to PR hopefully will naturally arise. 
then the strategy, I guess, comes in like, how do you amplify that PR? Um, how do you get the word out there kind of thing? And, and that, that you can work on. Um, but yeah, like I'm not saying there, there isn't a way to do it, but it's not like we, we, we've mapped out our PR strategy as such. Um, in terms of like classical PR, like getting in, getting good reviews and in the press and stuff like that, we've, we've got, we work with an amazing um, PR um, exec basically who's, um, yeah, like shit hot with that. <laughs> but in terms of the, in terms of the stunts, it's, um, it's a bit hit and miss, you know, everyone wants to try and do the Dollar Shave Club advert um, yeah. that went viral, you know, years back. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's hard. And the fact is that I think his name's Adam, I can't remember, but, um, you know, he, he was a, he was a stand-up comic, you know what I mean? So the, the owner of the business. So again, it was baked into the company. Um, so that's, that's kind of our belief, I think. Yeah, I think by its nature, a lot of PR just comes down to chance and you can't really plan chance sometimes, can you? You've just got to be opportunistic and try and exploit things. But as you said, it's it just hit and miss. What what other way? You said you got some media exposure. How have you done that? I imagine there's a bit more of a plan behind that. Yeah, totally, totally. So, I mean, we've, we've got like key, I guess, media targets that, that under different verticals, be that TV or um press and and then it's just about nurturing those relationships um early on um you know making sure that those approaches aren't just another kind of cold email landing in their inbox you know can you send them product and can you make them open it in an interesting way or can you make them laugh or smile or getting to know them um and so i mean that's kind of like our, our approach in like kind of in more traditional pr terms um so yeah <laughs> the brand the branding itself is beautiful how who created the packaging i think i heard on a podcast that you guys um has a lot of input into this yourself in the beginning yeah exactly yeah because um Eddie and i both from yeah from from the kind of advertising background and um yeah so we're particularly kind of fussy over like pixels <laughs> and design and stuff like that yeah. um but at the very beginning, certainly Kickstarter, it was all all kind of um, done by us. And then uh, after we run, raised our funding round, we got an agency to help us. Um, but we're still very much hands on with that that side of the business. And um, you know, it's it's really important to us because ultimately, you know, we're trying to build a brand, and that's it's what it's brands that last and survive. Um, and especially in D to C, something they do really well in the states, isn't it? Like you know, you look at the the branding of the D to C brands over there um so yeah we're big believers in brand yeah you've got to sell the click as well and it's very hard to do without good branding exactly yeah exactly um just on the pr um topic i think um we should do a flash mob adam by the way just no. came to mind i'm just you're putting it out getting, there you're not getting me dancing on tiktok i did it did yeah. it once with a dressing gown on slack and it got posters everywhere and linkedin <laughs> Guys, I'm going to have to do this live. I've got, I've got to move to my charger live. Go ahead. <laughs> Jump over. We like the authenticity. I can walk and talk. This, uh, this, is start, this is startup life, guys. I feel like we should do... <laughs> da, 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 da. It's, it's, it's definitely a first. I'm quite excited by what's going on. I know. Yeah. I feel it's like I'm house. on a call. Oh, that Christmas tree is lovely, by the way. Not my house, not my house. <laughs> I thought you said it was a startup, man. It looks like a really rich house you're living in. 
I think we lost lot of the signal. Oh, I think the flash mob's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm back. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, switching it up, new environment. <laughs> well, um, go on, here, I'll let you pick up. Um, so getting serious again now. Um, which marketing strategies have been most effective for growing Fussy to date, whether that be from the beginning and there was like a big jump, or maybe the longest going kind of strategy that you've had from the beginning until now, or as well, any flops that you've had? Like, have you put something out there and you've gone actually? that maybe didn't as work as well as what we thought it might. Totally, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess first thing is like, and I've, I've seen you guys talk about it a, a, a bit in, in your posts and stuff, is that um, it's like an ecosystem, isn't it? And everything's got to feed everything. You know, you've got to feed the beast, yep. like your paid media feeds your email list, you know, and and and, um, and, your, and your brand, you know, if people recognize your brand and you've got good reviews, you know, your cost of acquisition comes down and, and all of that. So, it, um, you know, and, and your operations, if you deliver on time, you get better reviews. And, and so everything links together. So um, so that so that that ecosystem is firstly really important. Um, and we focused because our launch was actually delayed. We focused on making sure we had a lot of that ecosystem set up for our launch. Um, so all our email flows, um, you know, we, we were really thorough on those from, from, from the beginning um, so that when we launched, they were ready to go. Um, uh you know our, our paid media approach from the launch our branding you know and so i think i think it's just making sure across all of those touch points first that you, you you're not you know people use the, the phrase the leaky bucket don't they like especially yeah. with um paid media you know if you've got a, a site that's not converting then don't put loads of money behind paid media so we firstly made sure that those kind of dtc fundamentals were established so that we were set to grow when we turned on marketing and and then Initially, it was very heavily paid media and, and still is, um, but supported, like I say, heavily by PR um, and creating a product that, um, you know, we call it deodorant for the Instagram generation. So marketing is all, almost baked into the, to, into our product and, and the design of it. Like people want to touch it and feel it and take photos of it and write about it because it looks and, and, and is designed how it is. So, um, so I guess it's kind of, you know it's yes yeah, it's, it's using the product um backed up by a good ecosystem and and um and then paid media um but yeah and then and then going back to the pr approach i guess what what we've done is we've we've when we've got those pieces of pr be them the stunts or or, or even press is we've then um amplified them through paid media as well so to kind nice. of really um yeah get the most out of them how how much additional traffic, if you don't mind me asking, for example, the Unilever stunts, like how much did that bring to the website? And did those um, additional people who came to the website end up converting or was it just like, oh, what's going on here? And then, you know, didn't really move the needle much. Yeah. Do you know what the Unilever stunt, it didn't really move the needle in terms of conversion, I wouldn't say. But what it did is, sorry, it did a, it did a, it did a brand job um, yeah. that normally startups at our stage don't get to invest in brand marketing. It's all, you know, yeah. direct response. So it was a, a, an opportunity to demonstrate our kind of some of our core values. Um, and it got us introduced to um, people. Um, so I think, you know, because because our 
because the apology letter to Unilever, I posted it on LinkedIn to the CEO of Unilever, who then responded on LinkedIn. Um, it was LinkedIn where we were getting most of the traffic. Um, yeah. um, but that was good for us in terms of like speaking to investors, uh, potential future investors that I'm still in chat with, in, in talks with now. So it did a bit of a, almost a kind of B2B job more than um, than the consumer piece. Um, the, the one that really um, helped us in terms of, you know, acquisition costs and traffic to site. My headphones, I can you still hear me. Yeah. 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 Um, what yeah, really um, helped was uh, when we were on this morning on ITV. Um, so Holly Willoughby with the with the product, and then we amplified that through social, and that pretty much halved our acquisition cost overnight. To be honest. Um, wow. So, so yeah, I might have to speak to Holly again. <laughs> it's interesting. I think if you look at the plight of Facebook and the, well, I don't want to say it's 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 on the demise. It's definitely not. I think it's just became a lot more difficult because of you know multiple circumstances, but. Some of the traditional advertising mediums like TV and the newspaper, some of our clients are experimenting with at the moment. And like you said, using that like an amplifying it through paid is having really good results. And I think it goes back to your point of looking at things holistically as part of an ecosystem rather than saying TV versus Facebook ads, which is just stupid, or email versus SMS. You need to look at how to bring them all together in a way that lowers your acquisition cost and obviously is conducive to improving the lifetime value. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And for us, um, yeah, I mean, and then there's all sorts of stuff about who's actually the most valuable customer, right? Like from, from different yeah. marketing sources. But um, for us, the other two really key things that I think we're going to see a lot of brands doing is turning back to the real world now. Like we're already seeing pop-ups or trade shows and events. Um, and then moving into retail. Um not just to drive sales but to drive people online and to get brand yeah. exposure i think that's going to be really key let's let's go on to that then because it's the it's the next question also i was i was speaking to um i left a comment rather on the, the ceo of a company um on linkedin this morning who, who was basically saying they use retail to complement the detail, they are primarily to say, and they use retail to complement that experience. But I think people got into the, the habit of looking at D2C in a box, which is just really naive because you, you, you're going to hit the ceiling, right? Like you can't keep scaling Facebook ads forever and people churn, people get sick, people get bored, people buy competitors. And ultimately people still like to shop offline regardless of, you know, the hype that you see. So, it's very important to meet consumers where most convenient for them. With that being said, you know, you're primarily D2C, you said then about probably um, moving into retail. What's your strategy going to be when you do that? Yeah, totally. Um, so our strategy is, is, is to kind of find a few really key partners that we can um, grow with and that we can kind of help each other um, as opposed to spread ourselves across like a hundred different um stores because that, that actually you know it, it turns into more work um i think for possibly less reward um so so that's kind of the focus on it on it for us um and then you're right it's it's about feeding our d2c offering as well so um i think um i think olipop in the us actually d2c drinks yeah. brand um 
was saying that they get like say like 50 percent 60 percent of their traffic comes from retail on their website and how they measure that i don't quite know but but like that's amazing um and yeah and we're seeing it really as a as, as a brand awareness piece as well um because yeah. you, you'd be amazed in like the startup world you think even even companies turning over like 10 million a year right you think who are fairly well known um but outside of the startup world you, you know you go to you know you ask the, the cab driver if they've heard of them they probably haven't um, yeah you know so it's um it's about brand awareness for us as well and, and there's there's a lot of people out there that aren't looking at facebook ads and um and, yeah. and whatnot and then the other bit on retail i guess for us is that doing it at the right time um so you've got to be super confident in your products super confident yeah. in your supply chain make sure you know that's all watertight before you then try to go to retail because you can, you can easily get caught out there if you 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 know a lot of brands that we've worked with have went um retail first and then d2c seconds and obviously their d2c side is really tied into what they're allowed to do based on you know their retail relationships do you think there's any benefit of being na digitally native first and then going into retail does it give you any leverage in these relationships do you think 100% yeah without doubt without doubt first it allows us to uh have a direct relationship with our customer tweak and improve our product before we then go to a big retailer who, who's going to like pull the product apart so we can, and we can build community um and then secondly it's customer data right what the retailers want certainly is is like is is, is our customer data if we can go to them and go look We've got 100,000 customers and we know what they want. We know they want this, they want that, they want that. And we, together with you, we can help um, bring that to them. Um, way more valuable. Um, and also for exit. And if, if anyone, you know, is running a startup and has that that on their mind, um, customer data is going to be really, really important for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, let's move on from the, the marketing talk. I'll let Leah get back to her hippie questions because I know <laughs> um so which aspect of the business is hardest to be sustainable? So that can be um in production, shipping, or it can be on the back end, um, you know, being a kick like being a Kickstarter is pretty sustainable, but like funding and things like that what what is the hardest part about being sustainable so i guess there, yeah, there's a couple of points i guess the um the hardest part of the business to keep sustainable is probably um the supply chain and by that i mean external partners because unless you like unless you fully own your supply chain like like Harry's razors have done now, they've bought all their own factories and stuff like that. You can't you can't control it entirely. Like we we, we use suppliers that use green energy on the roofs and, and and whatnot, but I can't control how much paper their staff are using or you know what they're recycling, but I can't control it. And, and they can tell me stuff and show me certifications and but unless you own that supply chain fully, I guess you can never be hundred percent sure. So I guess I think that's a challenge, definitely. Um and then I guess the second challenge is balancing, um, you know, purpose and profit. Um, we believe strongly, that's why we'd be caught pending that that's something we can, we can really do. Um, but it does mean that sometimes, you know, you might not make as much money and, and some companies might find that hard or might have tight margins that, that, that don't afford it. So 
Um, so I guess those are a couple of the challenges. Um, and yeah, I guess going back to the supply chain challenge, you know, hardest control, but it's also the greatest opportunity. Um, because if we can turn that supply chain green, if we if we can, like I say, consume responsibly, but also manufacture responsibly, um, yeah. you know, the manufacturing industry produces something like 60 to 70% um, of, of emissions. If, if we if all those factories turn to clean green energy, um, you know, we'd be in a much better position. So I think companies um, have a responsibility to provide consumers with, with better products, but they also have to make sure that those products uh, are manufactured and delivered more more, more sustainably as well. Yeah, I think um, what you mentioned before about the deodorant for the Instagram generation, um, how do you ever find it quite difficult? So, you know, even with maybe PR packages or sending things out, obviously Instagram generation, everything's about aesthetics. Everything's got to look good, everything. Like down to receipts being sent via email or thingy do you find aesthetically keeping that sustainable packaging and things like that is that quite difficult to do sometimes i think we i mean i'm 22 our generation love getting things in the post taking pictures of it and putting it on instagram things that are sustainable aren't always the prettiest so do you think that is quite a hard thing to come over sometimes yeah i mean i think it's definitely the harder route right but um it's definitely doable um so we're really fussy <laughs> about like the ink with and the cardboard that we use um and you know again it comes down to creativity i think and, and looking at how much cardboard we use can we make the packaging as small as it needs to be like um all of those decisions um but also provide a great experience for, for the customer um but ultimately sometimes it does cost a bit more money up front in the design process or in the, in the manufacturing process but um but i don't think we've actually to be completely honest i mean struggled that much to make it um look that good i mean our box is like quite plain and we're actually bringing out a new box which is a bit more colorful um so we have we have I guess struggled there mate well we veered away purposely from making it like this bright colorful box and that we're not focused on the product but um so yeah it's harder but it's definitely doable I think. yeah good stuff a couple of comments i think this is Erfan who's um got his own brand we own all our supply chain also it's possibly the best move for us as a brand yeah i yeah, think thanks. That, that's an interesting one, Matt. So do you think, obviously, these big corporations, because you're just a small fish in a massive pond, and obviously they must have to shoulder a lot of the responsibility. Do you think you need to see change happen from the top and have these big organizations sort of take a, you know, a more holistic approach rather than just prioritizing profits for it to change? Because it's going to be really difficult for you to to move the needle unless you were to grow to their size and then you can like you said own your own supply chain and then you can make the changes that you want totally yeah i mean um i think um you know actually unilever to their credit are doing some really great stuff like um uh in terms of sustainability they they they, they really are so um hats off to them for that um but um i think consumers are pretty switched on and you know I'm not sure it is like 
us like wanting to be the size of Unilever necessarily, but you know, I think there'll always be room for consumers will want a brand that really stands by their values and, and you know, they can tell that we've, we're called fussy because we're fussy about everything, our supply chain, our ingredients, um, you know, our impact on the planet and we want you to be too. Um, so I think there's, I think there's still appetite from consumers to, um, to find those, those smaller brands that the values really shine through and, and consumers are switched on and they, 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 they you know, they, they, rec they recognize them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just recently, I mean, I think I read it either today or yesterday, Lush have kind of said about coming away from social media because it, it's not seen as a safe space and they want their stores and they want their business and company to be seen as a safe space. So to be taking that much cut into your profit from not being on social media not even on TikTok or anything like that. And I know their target audience must all be on Instagram, all be on yeah. TikTok, all be on thinking. But I mean, they have got to a size now where they can probably afford to do that. But I think a lot, they have got so much praise from doing it because everybody who shops in Lush is like, yeah, this is amazing. Oh my God, yeah, you're doing it to, to make a huge difference. So... Yeah, that that I saw that. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. And they and they do stand by their values. I, I think Lush. Um, yeah, you know, yes, they are. They, they're profitable. I think like twenty million a year or something. So they can definitely afford to do that. But there's a lot of businesses that even if they could afford to do that, like they still got shareholders. Like people, I'm sure there's still pressure to hit targets. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, um, like, like hats off to them. And hopefully, Fussy can one day <laughs> shut down. <laughs> Shut down shop. We did we did close for Black Friday last year to be fair. Um but we weren't um we didn't have as much traffic to, as this year. So this year it's a bit harder to do. But um so this year we focused on how we promote um you know buying something that you're gonna keep and be more um uh, conscious with that. Yeah, use use it as a time to really kind of if you're going to get extra traffic that's that's more people being aware and you're able to inform so exactly <laughs> stop bullying all these brands they are leaving bad reviews then we won't have any need for safe spaces oh god bad reviews <laughs> just to finish off then matt um Basically, what would your advice be to new founders in the space? Because it is very competitive. I think in many ways it's easier than ever to start a brand, but it's also harder than ever to actually build a brand. So what would your advice be to others entering the space? Totally. I've got so much like things I've learned and, and, and pieces of advice. And I think you're right, right? We're in a different era of D2C now from five, five, ten years ago where you could just put a shop online like you do have to build a brand now i think and, and focus on that but um my first bit of advice would be kind of away from the business because um as your company everything is really emotional really personal and like it's really hard especially if your first time to separate yourself from the business um sometimes and by that i mean that if, if your business fails you haven't failed um yeah so my, my advice would be to zoom out um so sometimes we can have like really bad days and it literally feels like the business is about to collapse and end. Um, 
but then what you have to do is like you look you're looking as if your whole business is that day and it's not it's like it's like the last year so when you're having a bad day bad week even bad month like just zoom out and see what the graph will look like and i bet you it'll still be going up but it'll just be like this you know um so that's definitely like something that i use to kind of stay resilient it's like oh it's just a bad day but it's out of 365 (laughs) um and then i guess the other thing would be um don't worry about the feeling that everyone's better than you or you're making it up or anything like that like everyone's making it up i mean maybe not everyone but i reckon the majority of people are learning on the on the fly um and as long as you're being hungry and like really educating yourself then you've got nothing to worry about Completely agree and I resonate with that a lot. Um, last week I had a bad couple of days. Um, you know, it's hard to create that separation, isn't it? Because it is your baby. It's not just a job. Like you you can't stop thinking about it in many ways. But I think, as you said, you have to feel like a failure when you do go through those tough times. Because, you know, the good times, are good, as long as you're on the right path and, like you said, you've got that appetite and curiosity to innovate and learn more, then the good times will come back. Totally. Yeah, exactly. 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 And try and enjoy the ride. I've read like so many interviews with founders when they've said the first few years are the best. And I've been like, really? God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> no. Must be uh, people who enjoy having no sleep and no life. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, Matt, it's been a pleasure. How can people find out more about Fusty? Do you want to give a little plug about the Black Friday sale at the moment? I, yeah, definitely. Go to um, getfusty.com um yeah it's get fussy because fussy.com costs 50 grand so we haven't got there yet so get fussy.com uh 20 off no voucher codes needed um and yeah help us create a better smelling planet for everybody basically (laughs) Uh, thank you very much for your time if anyone's got any questions for matt feel free to drop them in the comments i can see a few have just came through so Please feel free to do it. Matt, I'll tag you on LinkedIn, but we're going to leave it here. Thank you once again for your time. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Leah. And uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. Cheers. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.